0: I realized how powerful being in community was for my own mental health, period. Having conversations, relating, that's empathy, right? We share, we listen, we learn, people relate, people connect, people see our stories in the hearts of each other. It's a beautiful gift we can give one another
1: welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Felska, and together we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible, and I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Hello, and welcome back to the Want to Work There podcast. I am super excited today to be talking with someone I now consider a dear friend. His name is Known Wells, and we were connected about a year ago now through sort of a mastermind network. I was looking for an accountability buddy, and he came out of the woodworks as not only this amazing accountability buddy, but friend and human and person that I love having in my life and in my corner. And so when everything came out this past week about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the immense amount of emotion that is happening everywhere, but also being brought into the workplace, my very first thought was, I need to talk to Known. Known needs to get a chance to talk to you guys, the listeners, because he is someone who has spent a large amount of his life thinking about how we can bring more empathy to the world. And so I reached out to him and he said, yes, I'm excited to have this conversation. So without further ado, Known, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Oh my goodness. Jill Felska. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. It's a joy. Grateful for you, my friend. Right back
1: at you. You know that. (laughs) Well, I started out by sort of talking about the weight of the world. And Mm -hmm. depending on when you're listening to this, this may be something that happened many months ago, or it may be this recent past week, and you're still Mm. very much sitting in these emotions. But one thing that I know is that we are our whole selves, no matter where we are, and that includes when we're going into work. And so I wanted to get a chance today to talk to you about how those emotions show up at work and what it really can look like to bring empathy into the workplace in a meaningful way. But I want to start by kind of asking for your definition of empathy. What is empathy?
0: Great question. And I think it's a question that's crucial because, in my experience as someone who has been thinking and embodying empathy for the past many years, teaching about empathy, it's something that is often misunderstood and miscalculated in some ways. And so, the way that I try to define it, and it's kind of an indefinable term in some ways, but the way that I try to define it, it's about meeting someone where they're at. Cognitively, which is the understanding piece, emotionally, which is the feeling piece, and compassionately, which is being moved to help. And the thing about empathy, which is one of the more crucial pieces of it, is It's active, it's ongoing, and it's messy, it's mushy. It's not a checkbox. We don't say, I did empathy, and then we're done. It's a living, breathing muscle. It's a superpower that we live with and we breathe with every day. It requires a constant vigilance and curiosity. It requires reflection, examination of our own bias and assumptions, a deep honoring of our, you mentioned wholeness, of our whole humanity, our intersectionality as humans, and all foundationally supported by empathy for ourselves. So a big piece of understanding what empathy is in our lives is about determining what empathy is for ourselves. So I always say we can't do empathy outward if we don't know how to do empathy inward. And doing empathy inward requires a knowing of self. So asking the question, how do we apply empathy inward if we don't know who it's for, right? And I've learned a lot of tools along the way and and teach some of these tools in some of my workshops. Things like active listening, something you're probably doing right now, listening to the words that I'm saying, hearing, you know, being witness to my body language, right? Being present with me, being curious. Vulnerability is another tool that is connected to empathy that helps us hone our capacity for empathy. Reducing ego, community is a piece of it. Feeling our feelings is a big piece of it. Imagination is a big piece of it. And so on and so forth. But really, to get down to it, it's about meeting someone where they're at, cognitively, emotionally, emotionally, and compassionately.
1: I mean, you just blew my mind in like eight different ways. (laughs) There's so (laughs) many questions that I want to follow up with, but can I just say as someone who spends a lot of my time trying to help people understand messy sort of nebulous concepts like culture, Mm -hmm. your definition of empathy and meeting people where they are I have goosebumps because it's such a simple way to say it, but it is so incredibly powerful. And I think it makes it feel doable for people, maybe more than if they just feel like it's this emotion that they have to tap into, or maybe it's a muscle they don't have. So incredibly powerful just to begin with. Also, I feel like I need to back up. I'm still sharpening my podcast tools here as a host. And I just want to talk about why you are so qualified to be having this conversation. Besides the fact that you have this giant heart and you certainly have been a great sense of empathy and joy in my life, you have so many sort of credentials and lived life experiences that make you the best person to be having this conversation. So first of all, you have had your own podcast since 2018. So what is that, math?
0: Almost five years, January 2018.
1: Okay. And the podcast, which is You, Me, Empathy, is a deep dive into exactly what we were talking about today in all the messy, amazing, crazy, wonderful ways that it shows up in our life. Tell me a little bit about why you started that podcast.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So I started You Me Empathy because I, as we are as humans, on the path, trying to heal, trying to figure out our stuff. I am someone who has major depressive disorder. I grew up in an environment that wasn't always safe and struggled with anorexia for a period of time that almost led me to dying. It was hard and had an abusive father and it was, you know, It led me to a lot of like coping mechanisms that were survival and also kept me from myself. And by that, I mean a lot of repression, a lot of compartmentalizing my feelings. And as I started to come out of that and doing my own work and looking inward and growing my capacity for leading with my heart, growing my capacity for my heart, feeling my feelings, those sorts of things, getting uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, let me back up. Part of that work, I realized how crucial, as I started writing and sort of exploring my own story through writing and engaging in community and with friends, I realized how powerful being in community was for my own mental health, period. Having conversations, relating, That's empathy, right? We share, we listen, we learn, people relate, people connect, people see our stories in the hearts of each other. It's a beautiful gift we can give one another, right? So I had an experience, I learned through it, maybe I healed some, and then I share, and then maybe a friend can relate. What a beautiful thing that I can share and help a friend in that process. I mean, what a beautiful symmetry that is in a way, right? So as I started to learn that empathy and vulnerability and this sort of emotional curiosity were crucial parts of my healing, I wanted to create a space that I really didn't have growing up. And that was Yumi Empathy. I wanted to have these long-form, deep, feely, mushy conversations around hard stuff And to be present with it and to not jump ahead and to to sit with the discomfort, right? The discomfort is where we learn and grow and bump into stuff as humans that we need to bump into, to not push past it because pushing past it is just bypassing our wholeness. We can't do that. That's not doing us a service as humans, humans on the path of trying to be whole, right? And so I wanted to create this space that was brave and vulnerable and feely and mushy and messy and uncomfortable and scary and challenging, right? And so it's been a real gift these past almost five years. And as you know, as part of that, you know, feely human grew and it's been, yeah, it's been wonderful.
1: And tell me a little bit more about Feely Human Collective too, and why that sort of grew out of that as the next chapter.
0: Yeah. So in May of 2020, wasn't planning to launch it at the very beginning of a global pandemic, but it just turned out that way. <laughs> I am a deeply feely human, have always been very sensitive. And I just wanted to do more. I wanted to make a deeper impact on my community. I wanted to do more in the world. I wanted to help others see the powers of empathy and vulnerability and emotional curiosity. So I wanted to get out there in my community and make more of a difference. And so I launched Feel the Human in May of 2020 to be this, I guess, more connected collective where we can, as humans, come together and create and collaborate and be in communion with each other around some of these hard concepts of empathy. And so I help facilitate workshops. I lead workshops around empathy and vulnerability for colleges and schools and businesses. I have a shop. I do all sorts of different things. But the core of the work is education. I lead a lot of workshops and it's it's really fulfilling. I really, really love doing it. Fills my heart. And yeah, just trying to keep growing it and growing it and trying to put more empathy out into the world.
1: And what a gift that is. I cannot tell you. I mean, we started this conversation talking about... One, the latest in what has been a really difficult past three years. And the gift that you have for holding space for people to process and safely have emotions is something the world needs more of, which is why I'm always advocating for you and the work that you do. But I think most pressingly for me, it's how are we allowing people to have these conversations in the workplace? Because one of the things that you just talked about as you were sort of explaining why the podcast, why the business, why this was important, was because we need to slow down and sit and feel the emotions. And I think culturally, businesses have been taught that there is not the time for that. There is not the space for that 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 is a waste. We want to go faster. We want to be more checkbox friendly. We want to be able to do the things. Ding, 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 ding. And what I have learned throughout my career is that empathy is not only needed within the workplace, but that it holds a very important role. Mm. And what I would love to hear from you just in all your experience with this work is What role do you see empathy having in the workplace?
0: Hmm. Such an important question. Such a big question. My goodness. Huge. It's so large. (laughs) Can you Uh, just solve
1: it for us today? That'd be great.
0: Yes. Well, that's the thing, right? As you know, Jill, maybe unsolvable. I don't know. Here's the thing, right? We're dealing with a system Work as a system, right? Workplaces as a system, work culture as a system that has so much history, so much legacy, right? To unpack, to dismantle, to explore, to examine through a lens of empathy that is mushy, that is messy, that is maybe the exact opposite of the checkbox, the go, 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 the productivity, the ROI, the numbers, the etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that these systems are built upon, right? So I understandably get a lot of pushback or skepticism or skepticism is the right word or criticism around, okay, why does my team need empathy training? I get it. I get it. And so What comes up for me first before I answer that question is this. So part of me, the sort of idealistic utopian dreamer part of me, which is an important part of me that I need to foster, wants to burn it all down, right? Just burn it all down, burn the system Mm -hmm. down. And I need to step back and remind myself that's not useful. That's going to hurt people. You know, not literally. I'm not literally burning things down. I need to be useful, I need to understand that we are operating within some parameters here and I want to understand that this work takes time and it also is one heart at a time, truly. So if I can think about it in that way, maybe I can make some progress. So empathy at work matters because empathy matters, period. Empathy matters everywhere. And maybe even more so at work, because as you pointed out, work has the potential, not always, but I would say most of the time in my experience, the potential to erase or silence or diminish the wholeness of people, especially those who have been marginalized historically, right? Yes. A crucial. Piece of empathy is about being witness to the whole of a person. We talked about that before. A good example of this, the term professionalism, right? You know, we've talked about this, Jill, as an example. So that term has been used to police and subjugate the behavior of Black people in the workplace. And there was a great piece by Monique Judge, I believe, over at DAME. I'll send you the link about this very thing, which Monique talks about professionalism, this idea of professionalism as a racist construct. So we're operating with these ideas around like, what does it mean to be taking a step back? Like I want sort of the utopian part of me, like wants a world where I can show up in all of my wholeness at work. So what does that look like? That looks like, you know, maybe I'm talking about my mental health, right? Maybe I am celebrating pride. Maybe I am talking about, oh, God, I'm so frustrated by this Roe versus Wade decision, right? Because personal is political, right? And I don't believe in this, let's keep the personal out of workplaces divide. That feels a little... Bypassing and toxic to me. Mm -hmm. So, how can we create more space? Not to like put that upon all people, because not everyone's going to be comfortable with like showing up. Okay, now it's mandatory for everyone to do emotional check ins at work. That's not what I'm telling everyone, but for everyone to feel comfortable enough to show up as their whole selves in whatever way they want to show up. Right. So how do we create more openness and curiosity around the wholeness of our humanity? More vulnerability, less rigidity and uniformity that's steeped in what's comfortable for traditionally the white dudes at the top, right? How can we think more critically about our hiring practices, our legacy of doing things, right? Think about all the things that we've, just ascribe to because, quote-unquote, we've always done it that way, right?
1: Yes. I'm vigorously shaking my head right now. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Another example of this is like, empathy isn't about addressing burnout with ping-pong tables. It's about getting vulnerable, having open and uncomfortable conversations with our people about what it means to be a human in the world and what fills their hearts. What helps them feel safe and seen and heard. I think it is realistic to have a workplace where people can, if they want to, bring all of themselves to work. I wrote about this just yesterday on LinkedIn about like this conversation that's going around about like this Roe versus Wade moment, right? That's happening. There's a sentiment that's going around that's like people saying, like, that's not appropriate for work, right? And I would say, consider for a moment what you're saying there. I think that's an opportunity to soften, to take a step back, to reflect, to pause, to listen. I think that's another one of those legacy things. Another one of those like, how it's always been things, right? So I think that work shouldn't be a tool to diminish our wholeness. And I think in a lot of ways it is. It should be a place to enliven our wholeness. And I think that is big. That is hard. That is messy. I don't know exactly what that looks like. But maybe it starts with having conversations, creating pockets of brave space to be vulnerable, to share. Maybe it's as simple as that, right? Some of the stuff that I do with Feely Human can be a crucial part of helping people feel a little less alone and more connected in a place where let's face it, work can feel very isolating even if you have the the ping pong table and the the beer tap or whatever, right?
1: I mean, yeah, <laughs> you you know how I feel about ping pong tables and and beer yes. taps, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> You and I are similar in the fact that we share big missions of change that can sometimes feel overwhelming because you do see the world in a view that I do, which I think is sort of like a pragmatic idealism, which is like we're very idealistic and we actually want to like take the steps to make it happen. And so everything I'm hearing you say, I keep thinking about levels within organizations and almost microcultures. So... When I was in a director of people role, I mean, there was a multitude of things that happened. There was the pandemic. There was George Floyd's death. There was the insurrection at the Capitol. There was all of these sort of big moments that happened when I was in this role. And for the first time ever, I was working very closely with the CEO to sort of think about what is our message here? How do we talk about this? what boundaries exist, what boundaries don't exist? How is this political? How is it not political? And I think those are a lot of the challenges that companies are thinking about at a macro level. So from the very top, how are the CEO and the leaders in the company talking about these things? That in itself is going to create space or shrink space. I think there's also then an opportunity within microcultures. We need to do an entire another episode on how we talk about at a a macro level, Mm -hmm. these big things. I think what I would love to focus on today, because I know that you have a gift in this area and, and you said it yourself that the heart by heart, you know, the person by person is in a micro culture. If I am a manager of a team, regardless of the cultural system that has been built around me, around how we do or don't show up, what are some of the things that I can do as a manager to signal to people that they are safe to bring their whole selves to work or to sort of show empathy to my direct
0: reports? Hmm. I think it's about listening. I think it's about asking questions I think it's about reflecting back, honestly. And by listening, I mean active listening, what I said before, right?
1: Tell us the difference.
0: Yeah. So when I say active listening, I mean, you're not thinking of the next thing you're going to say. You're not thinking about sort of like the argument or whatever. Ooh, I've got an exciting thing to say. You know, it's about truly being present with the words that they're saying and reflecting back, right? So if I'm listening to you, I'm hearing your words. I'm truly present. I'm not thinking about anything else but what you're saying, and then I'm reflecting back. So truly active listening.
1: Which is hard. I know I just interrupted you, but I just have to say, it is really hard and a skill that has to be practiced over and over Mm -hmm. again.
0: Mm -hmm. Really creating more stillness. Getting used to more stillness. I would say create like even a weekly space, call it whatever you want to call it, but like make it be a space where folks from your team can come and just talk about whatever they want to talk about. I do this monthly with folks from my community. We call it an emotional check-in and it gets deep and really messy. It's beautiful. We all cry during it and it's wonderful and it's hard. And it's so healing and it doesn't have to be as cryy and, and like that, but it does have to be a space that's grounded in honesty and it's grounded in non-judgment that doesn't assume safety, but it assumes that we're all there with the understanding that we're in this together. Right, that we're in this to be witness to each other, to listen, to learn, to reflect. And it could be as simple as 30 minutes a week, 10 minutes a day, you know, something like that. That could be so healing. That could be so connecting for people. Put that on the calendar for your teams. Like, I think that would be crucial. I mean, I could help facilitate that too, as feeling human, or do one on ones with people and start that. You know, like help them get used to that sort of cadence, that sort of thing from you as a leader could be important. I would say the other crucial part of that, which I said at the top, is if you want to really be present and more empathetic for your team, you have to do that for yourself. Mm. The inward part has to come before the outward part. And then they come then they happen in concert with each other. I always struggle with this and will continue to struggle with this. I'm a helper, always will be I will always sort of struggle with giving all of myself to the detriment of my own body and, and heart and whatever, right? That's just who I am, and I need to be hyper-aware of it and remind myself to take care of myself, etc, right? So, be curious check in with yourself check in with your feelings what's coming up be aware of your triggers you know all of that stuff is important part of the the work you need to do emotionally and cognitively understand what fills you up and then you'll be able to do empathy outwardly so much more in a much richer way I should say
1: being a great manager is hard like really hard I used to preach that it was every company's duty to provide management training for their entire team. But then I became a director of people and culture for a SaaS startup and realized just what kind of barriers were in the way. Design the training in-house. I could never find the time. Hire a third party to come and teach it. Sure, but then I'd need to re-engage them every time a new manager joined, and I just didn't have the budget for that kind of long-term engagement. In my head, I envisioned the startup version of management training, a self-led reusable program that consisted of audio lessons, thoughtful exercises, helpful templates, and an internal facilitation plan for cohort-style learning. So I built it. And it quickly became apparent that I wasn't the only person looking for a more cost-effective, scalable solution. If you also fall into that camp and want to learn more, you can visit wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. That's wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. All right, let's get back to the show. One of the reasons you and I connected so quickly and and so deeply is because we both share that innate sense of empathy part of it is probably trauma that we experienced when we were younger and part of it is just who we are as human beings but mm-hmm. we are both very very naturally empathetic people and i know that that has worked obviously, to the benefit of my team in the past. I know that sometimes it's worked to the detriment of my team, I'm sure, in certain ways. But one of the things that I think a lot about is, like, can empathy be taught? Because empathy is something that comes so naturally to me. And we think about this sort of new world of work. And I strongly believe that an ability to showcase empathy is going to be a foundational requirement of anyone who is succeeding in management i truly truly believe that and so that brings me to that point of well does that mean that people who aren't naturally empathetic just don't get to be managers or good managers or can we teach that skill what have you sort of seen in that way
0: yes 100% we can teach that skill we can teach empathy and yes, of course, trauma, naturally, you know, very sensitive. That plays a role, too. But that comes with hardship, too, right? Like, I was mediating my parents' marriage as a teenager. Like, that's not a role one should be in, right? Yeah. So, you know, I had to learn early on that, like, empathy has to come with boundaries, for example. I had to learn that lesson early on. Some people just have to learn that lesson later, right, for whatever reason. It's a lesson we all have to learn. Empathy without boundaries is just a form of self-destruction, is what I like to say. Mm. So, to answer your question, 100% yes. Empathy can be learned easily. Not easily. I should say, not easily. It's hard. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. It requires getting used to sitting in discomfort, right? Right. Like we live in a world, right, where uh, there's a lot of toxic masculinity. There's a lot of weird systems that say you have to be these beacons of strength, that feeling your feelings is somehow bad for men in particular, right? Cis men like me. That's not true. And that could get in the way of some of these things. The reality is that Accessing empathy requires that emotional work. It requires getting in touch with your feelings. It requires vulnerability, which are superpowers. Sensitivity is a superpower. Truly. Like don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Like the bro dude who's like crushing beer cans and playing ping pong. I'm making an assumption. Maybe he's not in touch with his feelings or sensitivity. Maybe he is. Great. Good for him. She, they, whatever. Maybe. But the truth is, like, feeling your feelings, being in touch with your sensitivity, those are, like, true superpowers of connection and healing and empathy. But it takes work, right? It takes understanding what fills you up. It it, it takes... Learning how to listen. It takes learning how to soften and be curious and asking questions. It takes understanding that. And this is one that I've been investigating more and more recently understanding that as a human being in the world, we have impact. Unseen and seen, we have impact, right? So, Understanding that we have impact, trying to be mindful and cognizant of that impact. Understanding that we have an impact on our community, on our collective. What does that mean? Can we go down the line and understand what impact we have? Going back to can we have empathy for self and a big obstacle that I find myself struggling with and a lot of people that I talk to, I find struggle with as well. Do we even deserve that empathy for self? Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't believe it, which is devastating. The truth is you're human. You deserve it. Plain and simple. You're listening to this. You deserve it. You deserve empathy. You deserve the love and care and attention and nourishment and all of it. And that means that your community and your collective and all of that deserves it too because you're a reflection of that.
1: I don't know who needed to hear that today, but someone did. I just feel like that reminder that first and foremost, we need to have empathy for ourselves and that it can traditionally be harder for men who were raised To not feel their feelings, that that was a sign of weakness, and that there is a shift, I think, in society moving towards allowing men to more readily embrace and acknowledge and accept and love the fact that emotions are a part of their lives. There is still a large generation of people within the workplace who did not grow up in that way and who see emotions at work as a weakness and as a fault. Mm -hmm. And that to me is where the cultural piece comes in about the beliefs that go around empathy. So like beliefs of, if I let my guard down, they're going to think I'm weak and then they're going to use that to their advantage.
0: Mm. Or
1: people don't show emotion at work. It's just not professional. It's not what you do. So whether or not people are saying them these things out loud or acknowledging them. These are beliefs that we hold as a society because of all the years that we have built them up in the workplace. If people take nothing else away from this episode, what I hope they take is that they sit back and they challenge their own beliefs about what it looks like to show up in a workplace with emotion and the positive things about that, the negative things that they feel about that, and that how we show up has a ripple effect on the people around us. So it's a well-known piece for facilitators who are doing workshops with leaders to either identify ahead of time or self-disclose something vulnerable because it allows other people to be vulnerable once someone in the room has been vulnerable. So oftentimes if I'm doing work with leaders, I will have a conversation with someone ahead of time and say, you know what, if you could share something vulnerable in this moment and be open, it's going to allow the other people in the room to do the same. And that's what we're looking for. And I almost feel like what you're saying is, if I show myself empathy at work, and if I start to flex that muscle more in the workplace, the ripple effect that I'm going to have by doing that, whether I see it or not in the moment, is going to be a really powerful thing and something that I think we need more of.
0: Beautifully said. And the beautiful thing about it is we're doing it for self and others simultaneously. Yes. And the thing about feelings, right? I love feelings. They're the best. The reality is there are no good or bad feelings. They are feelings. We all have them, whether we are willing to address them or not. The fact is we are human and we have feelings. And the sooner we understand that, the better. Because feelings can give us information, right? They can guide us someplace. And sometimes for folks like Jill and I as helpers or sensitive people, we can discern if the feelings are ours or someone else's, for example, right? We can Figure out where we're going, or we can figure out if these feelings are true or not true. And sometimes we just need to look at them, be curious. But it's a great way to just get used to the practice of being still and being curious about what's going on internally. And then we can practice that externally, right? Like it's a great sort of like, sandbox, if you will, right? Like, what's coming up for me, right? Like, something happened last weekend. So <laughs> this is a little embarrassing, but I'll share. So Jessica and I are taking Ripley, our puppy, to swim camp, which is so adorable. And it's all the way up in Santa Clarita. The first weekend, we just dropped her off and we couldn't go and swim. But the second weekend, we were there. But with the first weekend, we were there, while we were waiting, we went and got coffee. And as we were coming out and getting coffee, this guy was backing into this parking spot. And first of all, guys backing into parking spots already trigger one. Like backing into parking (laughs) spots, trigger one. (laughs) Trigger two, taking up two spots. So I'm already on edge. I'm already like, And I go to Jessica and I say, this effing guy? You know, in like a Chicago accent, you know, in a funny (laughs) way. But I'm trying to dispel some anxiety in me. And then the next like 45 minutes, Jessica's like explaining to me, like, you know, known that this type of thing, like, I don't really need to hear because it's going to bring up, I'm going to get into some anxiety spiral loops. And maybe that wasn't the most empathetic thing you could have done. You know that some of these things are triggers for you because of your history with your father, because guys have to work harder for to earn your trust, because of all this history, whatever, 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 right? Toxic men, et cetera, et cetera, right? Keep it to yourself. Let it be. Who cares? Take a step back and understand that like, oh, there's plenty of parking spots. Who cares? In the grand scheme of things, what's the big deal? Like, am I making an assumption about this person, right? So I'm like, it could have been an opportunity for me to check in in my own feelings and understand that, like, I'm holding a lot of, like, anger here. I am maybe having some anxiety here, certainly some sensitivity and some insecurity here. I'm probably making an assumption about this guy, you know, like all of these things that we go through. But that was an opportunity for me to maybe do some internal work and some exploration and curiosity. Instead, I uh, made a joke to like bring Jessica into my burden <laughs> a little bit, which sometimes can work. But in that moment, like she wasn't up for it. But all of that to say, it's important to get used to the internal curiosity and exploration and sitting with that feely curiosity, right? Sitting with that like, oh, what is coming up for me? Hmm, that's interesting. What's that about? You know, and sometimes we don't know what's it about, but it's a good practice to eventually, maybe we can take that externally with others, with, you know, our partners, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I mean, first of all, just thank you for sharing that. Because- of I feel like we need, and this is why your podcast and everything you do, to me, you know, you are a cis white male. And mm-hmm. the things, that <laughs> sorry, I just really labeled you there.
0: Top of the charts over the here. Top
1: <laughs> of the charts. <laughs> but the words and the care and the love and the self-awareness that I have heard come out of you in the time that I have known you have given me just a love and a light and a sense of hope for others because I think, so what I'm saying about this is just to back up, you are an incredible example and you telling these stories and sharing these stories on the podcast and having other people share these stories, we can't be what we can't see. And I know Mm -hmm. you know that,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but I really hope that there is another white cis male listening to this today that maybe feels a little bit safer or even just a little more curious about what it would be like to reflect on emotions like that and to know that that is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. It's a gift.
0: Thank you. And it's empathetic to reflect, right? So someone in an empathy workshop that I led, this wonderful human named Natalie said, I didn't know what I didn't know. She was giving her past self empathy, right? And that's the truth, right? Is like We live and we learn And what are we going to do the next time?
1: Oprah, man, when you know better, you do better.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's my mental throw pillow, basically, in my (laughs) head always is Oprah. When you know better, you do better. Uh, And it's allowed me to have a lot of empathy for people in my life,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm.
1: because I've watched and seen, man, when they knew better, they did better. When I knew Mm -hmm. better, I did better. It's that phrase has been powerful for me from an empathy perspective. And it sounds like she had sort of that same lens and I Mm -hmm. love that.
0: Yeah, it's great.
1: Here's how I would love to wrap up. (laughs) I sent you, so I was was home in Minnesota with my cousin and her 10-month-old son, who is like the living ball of sunshine of my life. (laughs) But because I'm me and I love a book, I was reading. I mean, we read books to him when he was going to bed every night, but I was also reading the other books because obviously what else do I need to do besides read children's books, right? Well, one of these books, and now I'm going to forget the name, but I'm going to put it in the links in the show notes along with the article that you mentioned earlier. But there was these series of books and I literally just started texting you pictures of like the story because I was so enamored in the book itself and the lesson that it was teaching, that I was like, I need this lesson. Like, adults need this lesson. (laughs) And I I flipped to the back, and it was written by a PhD who focuses on social-emotional learning for kids. And that phrase, social-emotional learning, took me down a rabbit hole, because I was like, first of all, social-emotional learning. This is another way of talking about the quote unquote soft skills that people have in the workplace. It is not a soft skill, it is a behavioral skill or a social emotional learning. And I have yet to find a lot of what's considered social emotional learning for adults, but I'm down this rabbit hole now. And I'm saying all of this because I think we, we think about how can we teach people how to use this software? How can we teach people how to be a better project manager? We need Mm. to be teaching our teams social emotional skills as adults, because those are some of the foundational cornerstones of the workplace that really can have a positive impact on how people show up. So if there were one piece of sort of social emotional learning or advice that you would have, I'm putting you on the spot here, but (laughs) if there is a piece of advice or a nugget maybe even a lesson that you've learned in your time doing this work that you want to pass along to people, what would that be?
0: I guess I think what is so beautiful about empathy, it a bit is tied to like how it's maybe messy in its definition is that it's messy in its practice too, intentionally. Because I think, humanity is messy intentionally not intentionally there's no intention right it's just what we are i think the the living and learning is messy and if it's not messy and mushy and bumping into stuff then what are you doing <laughs> right like then you are maybe like too armored up too protected So I mentioned before about how I was raised in an environment that didn't always feel safe. I had a very violent father. And so as part of that, I I learned to protect myself and it helped me survive. But then eventually that protection kept me from myself, as I mentioned. And that's an example of an armor we carry as humans. We live in the world with armor. We tell ourselves stories we carry the things that we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves that we're Democrats or Republicans. We tell ourselves that we're writers. We tell ourselves that we're creators. We're this and that and all of these things. And these things become beliefs and stories and part of our identity and journey. And they're important. And they can build a box around us. So a part of empathy work too is a little bit of building and dismantling simultaneously so what i mean by that is like i do ascribe myself as a writer i do i am a podcaster but i also don't want to be in that box like i do think it's important to like always be checking in on the why of it all always be checking in on my needs and the needs of my community, always be checking in on where I'm at and how I'm showing up in the world and what impact I'm having. Intent and impact, all of it, right? So a crucial piece of empathy work and embodying empathy and thinking about empathy and practicing empathy is investigating that armor. What armor are you carrying? How is it keeping you from Being curious? How is it keeping you from bringing more softness and stillness into your life and more messiness? Right? How is it keeping you from finding new perspective? Mm. That's a huge, huge part of it. And we all do it. It's so human, it's protective, and it's important. And we all need to do that sometimes. And It's never both. It's and, because the world isn't binary, y'all. It's and, and we need to dismantle it always. Building and dismantling, building and dismantling. So that's the lesson.
1: Without having just teed you up for that, we didn't talk about this, but what I think you spoke to so beautifully there is one of the direct juxtapositions That HR people, people ops leaders struggle with in their roles Mm. because traditionally the world of human resources was built on a foundation of compliance and on keeping the company safe from whatever could be messy. Yes. And as we shift to what I believe is a more heart-centered and human-centered world Of human resources, which I particularly love to call people operations. As we shift towards that different identity about why that role exists within a company, these leaders in these roles are being asked for the first time to balance the company's desire for there to be safety and security with the people's needs for there to be a soft place to land mm-hmm. and a safe place where they can bring their wholeness to work. And I think that's part of what I'm trying to untangle with this podcast is how mm-hmm. do we live in both realities at once? And I think you said it so beautifully. We have to be building and dismantling at the same time. Yep. There's no other way. There's no checkbox item. It's continuing to reflect. So, Mm -hmm. wow. Thank you. I hope anyone who is out there listening to this, who's in HR, people ops, and has felt that tension. I hope you can just think about where you're able to bring your guard down a little bit and what bringing your guard down a little bit could do for your people, your teams. All right. Full body goosebumps. Would expect nothing less from you known because you are you and just a joyful light to the world. I have no doubt that people are going to be excited to continue this conversation with you. I cannot, people cannot recommend bringing him in to your company to have these conversations, to do a workshop, to do a management training. Everybody needs these skills, and I have found no one in the time that I've spent in this world that can do that better than known. So what is the best way for people to find you? How should they connect with you and and keep up with all the things?
0: Well, thank you for that kindness. The best way is just to go to the website, feelyhuman.co, or you can actually just email me directly, hello at feelyhuman.co.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to many more conversations about these messy, messy topics in the future. Thank you. This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know I see you, I believe in you, and keep going. The work you're doing really matters.